Romans 5, 1 to 11. Peace and joy. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character and character. Hope and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to whom through death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we have been saved through his life? Not only in this, but also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom we have now received reconciliation. I want to thank Baba for his talk reminding us of the unique sacrifice of Jesus and uh, and Chris thank you for bringing our reading from Romans chapter 5. We're in the second of our series looking at solas uh, and these were the um, uh, reformation, the sort of four principles of the reformation and we had a, a fabulous message last week about solas scripture last week we are a people who believe in uh, the profound importance of uh, God's word in the scriptures the bible so we're thinking about solar faith this morning um, um, faith alone and I want to go back to um, the reformer who really led this um, reflection uh, the priest Martin Luther he was a catholic priest he was an Augustinian monk he was a professor of theology. He was quite a guy. Um, and he desperately wanted to know how his sins could be forgiven. And how could he be made right with God? And listen to this. He longed to have that assurance of his salvation. So he did all the things that people did back in those days. He lived a good life. He was a model monk in his Christian community. Do you know what? He volunteered for the worst jobs in the monastery, uh, like cleaning the, the latrines, the toilets. Um, he would lie all night on the cold floor of the chapel, trying to win favor with God. You see, he was someone who believed in God um, and sought the works of God by doing these works. In fact, he went on a pilgrimage uh, to Rome and he climbed up 
the St. Peter's steps on his knees as an act of invocation. But none of this made him feel better because he knew just how sinful he was inside. He understood his own heart. And the reformers back in the 15th, 16th century didn't deny the importance of good works in the lives of believers. But what the crucial thing is we're thinking about this morning, that the importance, the priority before anything is of a saving faith, is a repentant faith. And they stress the commands of Christ and that they insisted that good works ought to, ought to be viewed as an outflowing of thankfulness, of obedience to God in response to accepting Christ as Lord and king that was is a consequence not a precursor to being acceptable to god and you know uh, martin luther wasn't the first to talk about um sola fides so just uh, faith alone uh, he drew on the early fathers as they're called in the church's life so there was bishop ambrose in the third and fourth century and then in the fifth sixth century there was saint augustine who uh, looked to the teachings uh, in the letters of paul and then we had our own saint anselm the archbishop of canterbury who went back to scripture these fathers of the church all renovated the church renovare um, is a movement where we renew our hearts where sometimes the church goes astray and uh, gets caught up in issues that are secondary to the critical issue of justification by faith alone. And maybe today will be the day for your reformation. When you finally choose faith in Christ over trying to be good enough for God. So let's firstly look at the meaning of justification. The word justify means to declare righteous and of course the term comes out of a first century courtroom scene and as a trial drew to a close the judge having heard all the evidence would pronounce the verdict. To justify a person meant to declare that they were not guilty in the eyes of the law. And in Romans chapter 5 we have in uh, verse 1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word justify is like prosagio. Prosagio can mean to usher into the presence of God. And I, I'm sure some of you, and I know that uh, my friend Cole will have done the same, when they've been in uh, previous situations when he was a padre, I'm sure he had access to high places. And I'll never forget, um, in, uh, about 10 years ago, I had the, um, I think it was a privilege, of going to 10 Downing Street. And, um, and it's an amazing building. It's like the TARDIS. You think it's this tiny building. It's huge. And just walking in and going up the stairs and seeing all the frames of the prime ministers and then going into a, a very large room upstairs where the then prime minister was hosting an Easter gathering 
celebrating Easter, and uh, that Prime Minister happened to be David Cameron. And uh, it was a great experience. I was ushered in. If I went there to 10 Downing Street now, I couldn't get in, but I had special access. And the word prosagio can also mean a safe harbour, a safe haven, a safe house. And Jesus is that safe house for us. Another way of explaining justification, very basic way, if you've got a, a computer, or some of you remember the old typewriters where you tapped on, uh, you could justify the margins. And the margins can be straight. They're justified. They're from top to bottom, you can have a straight line on the right-hand edge. The computer arranges the words, the spaces, so that all the lines are squarely in the same place. To make straight that which would otherwise, otherwise be crooked. And so you take these two concepts of the courtroom scene and the justification on the letterhead. When you trust Jesus Christ as your saviour, God declares you not guilty of sin. You are straight. You're not crooked in the eyes of God. And this is something I think we really struggle with. I think this is something we really wrestle with in the Western church, is this is an act entirely of God. There is nothing you can do and I can do to be acceptable to God. It's all been done for us. We receive it through faith. Access through faith. There's nothing we can do to contribute to our own justification except about faith. It is entirely an act of God on the sinner's behalf through our Lord Jesus Christ. The crooked, me, Cole, Kate, others are declared to be straight. The guilty sinner is now declared righteous in God's eyes. In Romans 1 verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. We can't get away from that. It's all about faith, about trust. Let me read to you a bit more from Martin uh, Luther, The Stairway to Heaven. He wrote these. I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. Nothing stood in the way but one expression, the justice of God. Because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that. Although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience. I had no confidence in my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sincere mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole scripture took on a new meaning 
whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. This was Martin Luther's highway to heaven. Actually, this is my highway to heaven. This is Cole's highway to heaven. And this is many people in CBC's highway to heaven. This is deep faith, justification. And we confuse justification with sanctification, which is once we are saved, then it's all about discipleship. It's all about our gratitude to God is lived out in obedience, discipleship, fruitfulness. That doesn't earn us salvation. That is the consequence of justification. And some people try to get to justification through sanctification first. And friends, it is impossible. The key is faith. Total acceptance of the finished work of Christ. That is it. So, secondly, the impossibility of justification by human works. But we hear this time and again. I'll never forget being um, in the hospice with a dear man and talking to him about Christ and accepting Christ. And he was saying, well, I wasn't that bad a man. And it's nothing really to do with that. It's about how good God is in giving us Christ. So here are four quick thoughts about why justification by human works doesn't work. Firstly, good works can't cancel your sin. Sin ruins good works. Suppose you invite me over to breakfast one morning and you offer to fix me a three egg omelette. And you're very welcome to do that when we're out of COVID. And as you begin to cook, I smell a putrid odour coming from your kitchen. What's that awful smell? Oh, it's that just that one rotten egg in the three. But don't worry, I've added two really good eggs. That will cancel out the rottenness. I don't think so. And do you think I would eat that omelette? There is no way I would eat that omelette. Not for a million dollars. Because goodness doesn't cancel rottenness. Rottenness ruins goodness. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. You can't be good enough to cancel out the putrid of our own sins. Another example, good works can't save us because God doesn't grade on a curve. You might get results where the pass mark is 50%. 49% is still not good enough. He demands perfection and if you read and understand the bible you'll know that it takes one sin to break that and let's suppose that somehow you only commit three sins a day that's impossible for most of them because we commit that many sins before getting out of bed in the morning but let's give you credit and me credit for being very very good and let's suppose that you never committed more than three sins a day in your entire life. That would be more than 1,000 sins a year. And if you live 70 years, that would be 70,000 sins on your record. And if a police officer stopped you for running a red light and discovered that you had 70,000 outstanding speeding tickets on your record, what would he do with you? 
you'd end up in prison so long then then they'd throw the key away with 70,000 speeding records and is God's justice any different but you and I commit far more things than that our sins can be mountain high whether it's in our thoughts whether it can sometimes be envy whether we express um, a, a, a selfishness and sometimes a lack of gratitude or where we can criticize others unfairly all of those add up as our sins. And our sins can be great and our works can never save us. Another example, good works can't save you because you're never good enough, long enough. When you just get on a good streak, you know this in a relationship, you sin and have it all start over again. You can't be good enough. And that's why most religious people have no assurance of their salvation. They truly believe that being good will get them to heaven. This is not biblical. This is not the teachings of Jesus. Before God's judgment, there will be two types of people, the sinners and the sinless. And none of us qualify for the latter on our own. One of the most misunderstood ideas of the Bible is the assumption that if we're just good enough, then we can be right with God. And I've seen this pastorally time and again, where people lack the assurance because they're striving to be good enough in their own merit. Ask some people why God should let them into heaven. They'll, they'll reply, well, I've not been too bad. I didn't kick next door neighbor's cat. And there is one way to be good enough. Make no mistake about it. We are either a sinner or sinless. We are either one or the other. And only Jesus was sinless. For Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, the greatest sin, of course, is the rejection of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we face that prospect of condemnation by rejecting Jesus. But the amazing good news for us, friends, is that God assigns Christ's righteousness to sinners who believe. We have won the universal cosmic lottery in Jesus. We have won that forgiveness, that grace. We are declared righteous for no other reason than that Christ was righteous. It's imputed is the traditional word. It's put into us. By the Holy Spirit when we say yes, when we bow the knee to Jesus. And it's wonderful. It's amazing. It is out of this world and it is totally unreasonable. And this is God's extravagant grace that we're going to hear more about next week. God loves us so much. God wants us to be in a relationship with him. You know, we live in a planetary system with Billions of stars. Who knows whether there are other um, uh, creatures of God's creating. But what we do know in Psalm 8, we were made a little lower than the angels. We are special to God. And God has shown that specialness by sending his very own son to become a human being, to live a transformative life, to die on the cross for you and for me. God loves us so much. 
God wants us to be at one with him. That's what the whole idea of justification is. There's a, a great American evangelist called Josh uh, McDowell. And some years ago, he was debating a Muslim apologist on the relative merits of Christianity uh, and Islam. At one point in the debate, the speaker for Islam, who was very knowledgeable of Christian theology, thought to ridicule the Christian view of salvation by saying, you Christians, you are trying to go to heaven on the back of a crucified man. To which Josh McDowell replied, sir, you are entirely correct. We believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for the sins of the world. We are indeed going to heaven on the back of the crucified man. He's right. If Jesus can't take you or me to heaven, we're not going there. And that's what it means to be saved by his righteousness from another place. You know what they say about putting all your eggs in one basket. We are putting all our trust, says Josh McDowell, in Jesus. None of our trust is in anything else. If Jesus isn't enough, then we're in big trouble because we're pinning everything we've got on his death and resurrection. And I want to think thirdly and finally, faith alone. And Paul talks about what do we gain when we're ushered in to the presence of the King of Kings? What do we gain? We gain peace with God in verse 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. The second thing he talks about is we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is a wonderful thing for us, particularly in this season of immense suffering across the world with the pandemic, that we are not left hopeless. We are a people with hope, with a future because of Jesus. And this gives us great confidence and it gives us peace to know that whatever our future, our future is safe in the hands of Jesus Christ. He then goes on in verse 3 to say another addition. Not only so, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Who is crazy enough to rejoice in your sufferings if you have no hope? And this is something that's incredibly important to Christians, that we can suffer uh, and suffer well because of what Christ has done for us, because he's been there. He died on a cross, a sinless man. He was spat at. He was knifed. He died for us. So friends, as we think about faith alone, do you know this is the most important thing? This, if you get this wrong, everything else is wrong in church. This is so important. It's all about what Jesus has done for you and me. Eternal judgment will be solely on our response to the Lord Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5. But when the fullness of time came, God sent out his son, born to a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of children. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, 
not reckoning to them their trespasses. So when we say yes to Jesus, when we bow the knees, submit our lives to him, surrender everything, he imputes Christ's righteousness by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commends his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's wonderful news. We are accepted by God. Thank goodness for that, because I can't write what's been wrong. But there's always a little catch, and the catch is faith. We have to have faith. We access justification through faith, and then we access grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. Go back to Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, nothing else, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For grace you have been saved, it says Ephesians 2. Saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield writes, it's not faith actually that saves it's faith, the object of faith. And our object is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively, not in the act of faith, but or the attitude of faith, but in the object of faith. It's all about Jesus. And that's the sum of it. And as C.S. Lewis used to say, you either say Jesus was mad, bad, or truly God. You can't have anyone else. It's mad, bad, or God. And today, we choose God. Paul says this in Romans 8. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is interceding for us. Will my enemies condemn me? No, God justifies me. Will my friends condemn me? No, God justifies me. Will the demons condemn me? No, God justifies me. Will Satan himself condemn me? No, God justifies me. Will Jesus turn on me? No, he died for me and you. Will my sins rise up to condemn me? What sins? My sins are gone forever. My slate is wiped clean. Will my conscience condemn me and guilt overwhelm me? No, Christ has forgiven us. So, my friends, I ask you to bow the knee. If you haven't bowed the knee, if you haven't accepted Christ, as your Lord and Saviour. If you've forgotten that you've done that, you need a renovare, a renovation of the heart where you've got all into works, all into sanctification, trying to earn and you've confused justification. Today is a day to bow the knee, to bow the knee and say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, pardon me. Lord, it's all about what you've done on the cross for me. So where do you stand today? Are you straight with him? Or is your life still one big crooked mess? Have you been justified by Christ alone? Pray with me. 
Our Father, we thank you that you are able to straighten that which is crooked, make that which has gone wrong. Some of us have struggled under such a load of guilt for so many years that we hardly believe that anyone, even you, could take it away. Grant faith this morning, today, as we listen. Grant faith to believe your word and in believing to find rest for our souls. Lord, we pray for salvation, for justification by faith alone. Renew CBC in this fact that we are saved by faith alone, not by going to church, not by taking communion, not by serving. That's a response to faith. Lord, help us to rest in the glorious grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.